intimacy. Our hope is that as we diminish the inputs a little bit, we steward the inputs a little bit, that our opportunity to press into intimacy with the Lord increases in proportion. Ephesians 5 says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do. How? How are we to imitate God in everything that we do? One, we have to understand that we are his children. And we have to follow the example of Christ. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. So when we talk about intimacy and relational intimacy and intimacy by the Spirit of God indwelling in us, we define it as pursuing and making room for God's presence. It's living with an awareness that his presence, of his presence that impacts every moment, every word, every thought throughout our day. We believe, as you have, you have read this, you have heard this year over year, we believe that the desire that should drive the life of every believer in Jesus isn't to earn his love and affection as a wage, but to receive it as a gift. This is what we sang this morning so powerfully. We are not performing, we are not, we are not performing, we are resting in and we are enjoying his presence, intimacy with him that we can access because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's what we talked about in depth last week. Intimacy with God is an invitation. It is not a demand. It is not works. It is grace. It is not earned. It is given. that we would be able to say, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And here's what I always want to say when I talk about intimacy with the Lord, with people, is this. I don't know what intimacy with God looks like for you or for every life in this room because it's different for every one of us. It is vital but it is unique to you. And if you were to say, here's how I cultivate and experience relational intimacy or friendship with God or union with God, it would be far different than I would say. I don't know what intimacy looks like for you. I don't know what that journey is or how you cultivate it in your life, but I do know the result. And the result of intimacy, of union, of friendship with God, of being face-to-face -face with Him is that we become more and more like him more and more like Jesus, that we would imitate him with our lives. Second Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. And we joke about it and we laugh about it, but we are never going to talk about intimacy unless we come back to this verse because this is the absolute heart of the matter. Whenever anyone turns to Jesus, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, 
The veil is taken away. What is the veil? It is shame. It is sin. It is misunderstanding. It is religion. It is performance. It is all the things in my life that have separated me from him. And it is all the things throughout history that had separated humanity from God's heart. And that veil was torn when Jesus died. That veil was torn. And so Paul is referencing that beautiful historical reality of a temple where God was separate from man, that veil being torn so that God could come out to be with his people. And he's talking about that theologically and he's saying this veil of shame and misunderstanding and the law and all of that stuff. When we turn to Jesus, that veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the spirit, which is the presence of God. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us who with unveiled faces, that shame and separation taken away, when we have those unveiled faces because of Jesus, we contemplate his glory, his person and his power. We are then being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Intimacy with God is the completed work of Jesus that allows his presence to come to us and for us without performance or religion, but to be able to stand before him and to be face to face with the glory of God, the person of God, because of our good works? No, because of the completed works of Jesus. And then the result of intimacy, the result of a relationship with God through Jesus by his spirit that looks like that is that my life by degrees, even if it's centimeters at a time, not in earning or striving, but in presence, I am transformed more and more and more to be like him. And so we don't have to have this big salvation message of coming to Jesus and escaping from hell and your eternal de destination or what are any of that. We don't have to have that. Why? Be Everyone's like, wait, we don't? No, listen, <laughs> what we do have to have is an invitation that Jesus gave when he walked this earth, which was what? Come and follow me. Jesus didn't say, you need to pray this sinner's prayer and say these words and do this thing and go to church once a week and therefore you're not gonna go to hell. He didn't say that. What Jesus said was come and follow me because he knew that in following him, people would be transformed to become more and more and more like him. So the promise of eternal life is found in what? Knowing Jesus. And then how do I know if I have stepped into that eternal relationship with Jesus? Am I going to point at a date or a prayer? Maybe, because sometimes those, those moments are so profound. But what I hope that we point to as well is that from that date and that moment, I have become more and more and more and more like Jesus. Because in saying yes to him, I'm acknowledging that by his death and resurrection, the veil has been torn, that I can now behold his glory and be face to face with him. And so the, the litmus test for salvation, the litmus test for Knowing him and following him isn't a prayer or church attendance. It is a becoming like Jesus. Come and follow me, he says. Come and be face to face with me, he says. I don't know what the practice of intimacy looks like for your life, but I do know the result of intimacy with Jesus is a becoming more and more like him.
And thankfully, although we live in a microwave culture, we are learning from a culture where you plant a seed and you cultivate a seed and you care for a field and before long, it becomes fruitful. It is to the Father's glory that you produce much fruit. It is his work in you that is producing fruit, not your work in the world. And he produces fruit out of your life that looks like the Spirit of God. That's the result of intimacy. Intimacy with God is this beautiful process that requires a constant yes and a willingness to travel with him into the deeper places. Not to be cliche, but intimacy isn't about reaching it as a destination. It is all about a daily journey, walking with him through the hard things, trusting him in every season and being bold, going after the things in our lives that hold us back from him or really just restrict our ability to see that he is present and at work and at hand in our lives. It is a beautiful journey that requires entrusting him with our heart. It is a beautiful journey that requires allowing him to restore our heart, to make it a dwelling place for his presence, a repaired heart that gives love and receives love in ever increasing capacity. Our goal in teaching and basing our lives around here on intimacy with God, it isn't to define how God shows up for you. It isn't to, design, to define, as I said earlier, what that looks like. It's not for me to dictate how God moves in your life or speaks to your heart or leads you into obedience. It is simply to challenge you to draw near to him, to come to him, and to be transformed by him. And remembering that our confidence comes from Christ himself who promised his disciples in Luke 12 that everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened to you. If we do not stop asking and seeking and knocking, we will discover unfolding degrees of intimacy with God that transforms us into the image of his son by the presence of his spirit. And my promise to you is that as we ask and seek and knock, that he is near, even if it doesn't look exactly like you may have expected it to look. James 4. It's a letter that's written, and in that letter he says, you don't have what you need because you aren't asking God for it. And the translation of that conversation and the translation of that verse is basically him saying, you're trying to get everything your own way because you don't believe that God will give you what you need. And this is the lie of religion against your worth, it says to you that you are not worthy of intimacy. You don't deserve intimacy. Why would God want to be in a love relationship with you? Why would God want to be face to face with you? And when we begin to believe that lie of religion, we go, I'm not worthy of being face to face with God like this guy with the microphone is talking about. God doesn't love me that way. He doesn't want me in his presence. He doesn't do that work for me. And so we have not because we ask not, 
And we do not ask because we do not believe because religion has told us a lie based on performance and worth that is so quick to disqualify us from simply coming to him. What is it that I need? What is it that you need? What is it that we're asking for in his presence? He says, come to me. I may not do that work the way that you want to in the time that you want me to do it, but if you come to me, I will transform you into my image, that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. 6, we, we focused on this verse a little bit last week. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What is this reward? He is our reward. He is our treasure. He is our portion. He gives himself to those who diligently seek him. And so to close this morning, I want you guys to consider these three things. And if you're reading along with Still Life, if you've been around here, for long, if you've heard me teach these messages before, you're going to know where this is going. And I want us to consider these things for just a moment as the worship team makes their way up here for a time of response. These are the three questions that I have for my own life when I am considering this beautiful invitation to intimacy with God that is transformative to who I am, to the core of my being. It's an opportunity to bring my heart. My heart is restored that I could be poured into and pour out, receive love, carry love. So as I take this journey, yearly journey of intimacy, this is the chance that I have to ask these questions. Does God have my undivided attention? Is my life in alignment with him? And am I cultivating an appetite for his presence? Is your attention on him? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and, then, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Does he have my undivided attention? There's so many things in our lives that are vying for our attention. That's why we often talk about keeping margins in our life. I believe that the margins that we're creating through social media fasts, through Sabbath, through ruthless elimination of hurry, what we're really doing is we're just creating more margins in our life. And God begins to write in the margins. He begins to communicate to us in the margins. When we leave no time at all, it is hard for him to intercept our time and our thoughts and our days. But if he is at the center, we will build our entire lives around him. Is your alignment with him? When my life is in agreement with his heart for me and for others, I am aligned with him. Peace and presence, transformation and love begin to flow out of my life. But when this isn't the case, my life gets out of sync with him. 
And that's where I have to humble myself before him. I have to repent. I have to turn. I have to reset my inputs. If my life is not in harmony with his life, I have to stop what I'm doing and realign with him. And is your appetite for him? Are we staying desperate for God? Not because we're living for la from lack, but are we maintaining an appetite for his presence? Are we maintaining an appetite for his word? Are we maintaining an appetite for his purposes for our life and for our family and for our time? And to do that, it means often cutting out things that are temporary, that temporarily numb or satisfy the hunger for the eternal or for the nearness of God for his word, for his ways. Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What if we believed him that just said, if we seek Jesus first above all things, that we would receive everything that we need on the other side of it? What would that look like if we took him at his word and put him to the test? We could cut back then on the things that are filling us up and distracting us from having a hunger for more of God. That we would not be feeding ourselves on emptiness when the eternal is available to us. So again, we can be invited into intimacy because of the completed work of Jesus. There's nothing that we can do. And Jesus stands before you today and he has this simple invitation. Come and follow me. And as we follow Jesus, putting him at the center of our life. I'm not here to tell you what that looks like or what you're supposed to do first as you walk out of this room. I'm simply imploring you that he is here and he is saying, come and follow me. And you can say, well, what about this? Or I'm not qualified or I'm not good enough or these are all the lies that wanna rest on you. But those that just threw down their nets and said, I will follow you, Jesus. They got to spend three years on this earth becoming more and more like him. And the invitation from Jesus today to you is to come and follow me and spend the remaining years of your life getting to know me and becoming like me. That you would never have to doubt for a second your eternal destination, not because you cleared a hurdle and got a ticket into heaven, but because you are becoming so much like Jesus here in this life that there is no doubt that I know him. And if I know him in the present, I get to be with him in eternity. And he invites us to look at our life then and just say, do I, do you have my undivided attention? Is my life in alignment with you? Are your goals my goals? Is your heart my heart? Is your life my life? And am I cultivating an appetite for his presence or am I filling it up always on the temporary. Without performance and without religion, we have to be willing to remove the stuff that exists in our life at the expense of our attention and our alignment and our appetite for God. We have to live a fasted lifestyle. 
If something is replacing my focus, my unity with God, my hunger for God, I get to repent, to remove it, and I invite him to fill those places. And that's why we have communion available to you this morning for followers of Jesus. Scripture instructs us that when we come together that we would take communion. Why? In remembrance of what Jesus has done and what he has accomplished. And so because of what he has done and what he's accomplished, when we come to take communion, we're not just doing a religious exercise. We're actually saying, I want to partake in the fullness of the life of Jesus. And I want to exchange the things in my life that are pulling my allegiance from you, my alignment from you, that are dimming and numbing my appetite for you. I want to lay those things down at this communion table, not this table, but at the work of Jesus and say, I'm laying this before you and I'm taking up friendship with God. I'm taking up intimacy with God because that is what Jesus has made available to us when he says, come and follow me. He only requires that we lay down because he has something better. He only removes from my life that which he wants to replace. What he has is better. What he has is better. So Jesus, we give you this time. We ask that this would be a moment for each one of us of exchange. Big things or small things, whatever it is, Lord, that you would have our attention, that we would be aligned with you, that our appetite for you would be ever increasing. Not because of lack, but because we can never get enough of you. And so as we come to the communion table today, or if we just are gonna stay and spend some time in prayer or in worship or whatever our response might be this morning. We ask that you would meet us in this place and that we would be willing to consider an exchange with you. My reputation, my livelihood, my life, my things, my goals, my dreams, whatever it is, it's not working, I lay it down and I take up your invitation to follow you and to be face-to-face -face with you, and just to remain a life postured face-to-face -face with you as I would be transformed into more and more of your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for giving me a few extra minutes this morning. I know that was a lot with the social media fast and all the different things. Kids are going to be done in about 10 minutes that you can go get them out of their classrooms, but in the time that we have, we're asking that you would keep this room a sacred place. If you would like to talk or chit chat or get to know people or invite someone to lunch, please do that. But let's do that in the lobby so that this remains a quiet place in here. As you go get your kids or wherever it is at 1145, you can do that. But for now, we're just going to stay quiet, prayerful, worship, and take communion. The table is open to you as followers of Jesus. Uh, so let's do that now for a few minutes as Pete and the team lead us in a time of worship.